All right, good morning. Happy Palm Sunday to you. How many of you remember Palm Sunday as a kid in church, right? And where we went, we, we either colored a page with some palm branches on it, right? And Jesus riding a little tiny donkey because it was a foal. It wasn't even full grown. Or sometimes they actually brought in real palm branches. That was super cool. Remember one time we, they showed us how to braid it and weave it and we made a cross out of it. Um, so we have memories of Palm Sunday. But what is Palm Sunday? What are we recreating or celebrating there? Okay, his ride into Jerusalem um, as king, right? So I want to talk to you today, and, and some of you may have heard this before, but it's so good to be reminded. I think sometimes we forget contextually that God has a plan. He had a plan for our redemption from before the foundation of the world. And if I was God... When I had formed that man out of the dust, I think I would have been happy to just have a good sandcastle of a man. I don't believe I would ever have breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, knowing that it would cost me my only son, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Christ. But God did. He had other plans. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. Adam's sin was not a plan B to God. It was plan A. I want to talk to you today about the shadow and the substance. So much of what we see in the Old Testament is the shadow. But the substance is who? It's Christ himself. And to start us off, and, and oh, I was going to give you a, a heads up on your outline today, other than drawing pictures on it, what I'd like you to, to do is I put shadow on one side, substance on the other. And I'm going to go through a number of events and circumstances in the Old Testament, and I'm going to show you those are the shadows, and then I'm going to show you how Jesus was the substance that all those shadows were pointing to. So that's one way you could take some notes today. We're going to use a lot of scripture. But to start off, we're going to, I want to start off in, in, in Colossians 2. I know we just finished Colossians last year as we went through that wonderful letter. But Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Here's what the scripture says. This is Paul talking. He says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon, or what's this next word? Sabbaths, right? Why? Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So all of these feasts and Sabbaths were a foreshadowing of the substance who is Christ himself. Um, so as we approach Palm Sunday, I want you to understand that the Father planned all of this out. The Father said, I'm going to plan the very day and the very hour that my son dies. I'm even going to pick out the songs that are sung at his funeral. 
So this morning, we're going to investigate the shadows, and we're going to discover how Jesus was and is the substance that all of these events pointed to. So our next passage of Scripture is in Leviticus 23. So if you got your Bible and can find Leviticus, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book in your Bible. Moses wrote this. Exodus 23, we're just going to look at the first two verses. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them. By the way, this happened a lot. Here's what he's supposed to tell them. The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Okay, so that tells us some things. Let me ask you a question. When I say feast, you think what? Food. And not just a little bit of food, right? Um, my son Sam and I celebrated birthdays this week, and um, I'm a little bit older than him. But we are going to go back to my house today after church, and we're going to celebrate our birthdays. I'm not even sure what we're having. I know what I had on my birthday, which was my request, and my wife knocked it out of the park, as, as always. But a feast, we think of a feast, we think of great Scores of, I think last Sunday. How many of you were here last Sunday? That was a feast, wasn't it? Man, we had some good food and great fellowship together. We think of food. However, that word and feast is the Hebrew word moeds, pronounced or spelled just like you think, M-O-E-D, moed. And you know what it means? It doesn't mean food. It means an appointment. Isn't that interesting? It's the Hebrew word appointment. Literally, here's what it means. It means a fixed time, season, the setting of a wedding date, stated, fixed upon by agreement. I guess if you're getting married, it would be good to know the right date that that's going to happen, right? And, and, and in order to make sure that you got it right, your, your, your fiancé has it right, and everybody's coming has it right, you would set a moed, a feast. You say, a fe no, it's, it's an appointment. Right? How many of you keep your appointments in your phone? I, I keep all mine in my phone and then lost my phone recently. And that was actually really terrifying because I literally, it was like three or four days without it. And I was trying to remember what I had going on. And I had to call the funeral home and it was really embarrassing. Do I have any funerals in the next four days? I couldn't, and I did. I had one and I couldn't remember. So uh, it's just an appointment. Is what, is what this word feast means. Now, here's the other problem that we have as good Gentiles today, and as people living in 2022, is that the Bible, God's Word, was written on a different calendar than the one you and I have, the Julian calendar, right? God has a whole different, different names for the months and different seasons, and so sometimes it's helpful to understand a little bit of God's calendar because then the shadows make more sense when they're fulfilled by the substance, which is Christ. It aids us in our understanding. So in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14, Genesis 1, 14, the Bible says, um, God, And then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Now look at this, look at this phrase here. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. 
So the lights in the heaven, not just the sun, but the stars, um, were signs. They, they were literally there. The word is oath in, in the Hebrew. Oath, actually. And it is literally a signal in the sun, the moon, and the stars to tell us what is to come. Um, the wise men read the stars, didn't they? And they realized, hey, king of the Jews has been born. And they were in Persia. How did they know? Well, there was an Old Testament guy that landed in Persia named Daniel. I believe he taught them. Daniel was a eunuch, so he had no children, but he was extremely wealthy. I believe the gifts that, the, that those guys brought were put in, res, in reserve by Daniel himself. I can't prove it, but I believe it. I think Daniel taught them to read those stars. There is, there is an old legend, and I, I believe you know, all legend has some, some uh, basis in reality, truth, that literally the history of the world, from beginning to end, God wrote in the stars at the creation especially the gospel. And so many of the, what has become used for demonic and wicked purposes, the, the uh, what do they call those? Astrology and the, what do they call the different things? What's your sign? For, for most people, it's more like, here's your sign. But anyway, <laughs> some of you will get that. But your sign, right? And what's it called? Horoscope, right. Emphasis on horde. But where he's trying to tell the future. Well, where does that come from? Because God wrote that in the stars. And a lot of those horoscope figures in, in the sky, Aries and, and the lion, Leo and the lion, all of this, those were originally there to tell the story of the gospel. And of course, fallen man and our enemy destroyed that. And then this word convocation, these are a holy convocation in the Hebrew is the word mikra. And that's another interesting word. And it literally means dress rehearsal. Where's Andy? Andy, do you remember back in the day when... Uh, Courtney was working with you kids, and you put on, you, you and Ben and all the kids put on these programs. My favorite one was the spy one. What was it called? Agency D. No, it wasn't. That was the VBS. What was it called? We Three Spies. It was so good. And, and, um, and, but I remember before the big day that you guys were putting it on, we had to have a full dress rehearsal. That's where you get in all your costume, right? And you go through it one time without stopping. We're getting ready to do that with mock trial on Monday, fellas. A full dress rehearsal. What are you doing? It's not the real thing, but you're practicing for the, you're getting ready for the real thing. So you do it like it's the real thing. That's what a dress rehearsal is. So I'm going to reread to you Leviticus 23, 1 and 2 that we started with. But this is in the PDV. That's the Paul Jettle version. So I'm going to reread this in, in my version Rewriting this scripture. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the divinely appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy dress rehearsals. These are my divinely set appointments. That change how we look at it a little bit? Say, Paul, what in the world are you talking about? Hang with me. It has everything to do with Holy Week and what we miss so very often. The feasts were holy dress rehearsals for the coming Messiah. Amen. That's what they were. That's all they were. And for 1,500 years, think about that, 1,500 years. How long has the United States been a nation roughly now? What are we, what are we at? 
to what? 245. I remember the 200th uh, anniversary. I guess I'm getting, I was a kid. And I remember there was big celebrations going on for the, two, the, the 200th anniversary. 245, 1,500 years. Think about 245 years as a nation. The nation of Israel for 1,500 years have been celebrating these feasts and keeping these divinely appointed times. And for the last 1,500 years, the Jews were killing a Passover lamb on their month of Nisan, the date of 14. Now, when you hear Nisan, think April, roughly. It's not always April. It's kind of like where our Easter falls. It, it depends on the, the calendar. But think springtime, roughly April 14. Nisan 14, 1,500 years, I've been killing a lamb on that same date. And listen to this. 1,500 years later, the Lamb of God would come and He would be sacrificed. Anyone want to guess what day He died on? Nisan 14. You see, that date was the shadow that Jesus was the substance of. All of those lambs for 1,500 years that were sacrificed were the shadow, and Jesus was the substance. In Leviticus 23, verses 5 through 6, um, we get the explanation of these three spring feasts um, that God set up, these holy dress rehearsals, and divine appointments for the children of Israel. And here they are. On the 14th day of the first month, guess what the first month was in a Jewish calendar? The month of starts with an N, sounds like a car. Nisan. Are anybody out there today, or is it just me? Am I preaching to myself? Okay. On the 14th day of the first day of the month at twilight. Why twilight? Yeah. So literally, it's the end of 13, pushing into 14. So as soon as the sun goes down, it becomes 14. Right? That is the Lord's Passover. So God says, here's the date. It's Nisan 14. And on the 15th month of the same on the 15th day of the same month, which is the next day, you with me, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. And seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So that feast lasts for seven days. So we have Passover, and then we have unleavened bread on the 15th. And then the Bible tells us, he says a little bit later, now, on the morrow, on the day after this next Sabbath that follows unleavened bread, is the Feast of First Fruits. Um, so you have Passover, unleavened bread, and right now, as soon as there's a, a Saturday Sabbath, the next day, that first Sunday, is the Feast of First Fruits. They call them the Trinity of the Spring Feast because they happen bang, bang, bang. 1415, and then on that year that Christ was crucified and buried, resurrection, wrecked it, it was the 18th of the day of first fruits. And, and uh, that was a celebration. And we'll talk more about that next week, but it was the barley harvest, which was the first grain that ripened. Um, and then 50 days after first fruits was the feast of Pentecost. Penta literally meaning 50. So they counted the omer. And then at that feast, the priest would take in two loaves of leavened bread, normal bread that's got yeast in it, and he would wave them before the Lord. Um, so the Feast of Pentecost is 50 days after first fruit. So actually the Jews were the first Pentecostals. The Jews were Pentecostal before the Pentecostals ever knew what a Pentecostal was. And by the way, that's where that name comes from. 
Um, now, the Bible, God commanded all of the Israelite men that they, they would appear before him three times a year in Jerusalem. And all men, all Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem. Now, their families could come or they didn't have to, but the men had to come and appear before the Lord for, for the feasts in Jerusalem. Now, Numbers, jot this down, Numbers 9, 2 through 3. We're going to see this appointed season, that they were dress rehearsals. Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time, the appointed season. On the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time according to all its rites. So you do everything you're supposed to do and the ceremonies, you shall keep it. And I'm going to unpack what that looks like uh, for those Jewish people. So he said, on the 14th of Nisan, you get that lamb, and you kill that lamb, and then you celebrate Passover, but not any way you want to. There's certain things you got to do in, in that celebration of the Passover. So the idea, uh, how many of you are familiar with something called spring cleaning? You know spring cleaning? Did you know the, the whole concept or idea of spring cleaning goes back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread? It's, it literally goes back, not to the first century, all the way back to the Exodus uh, and, and the deliverance of the children of Israel. And they came out of this idea because they would have to get the leaven or the yeast out of the house. Now, you ladies know that yeast is really in a powdered form, isn't it? And they would save that in, a, in an airtight container and then use that in their, in their breads. And part of uh, the deal was to get the leaven out of the house so you could celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we see this in Exodus 12 and verse 15. Jot that down, Exodus 12, 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Now look at it. On the first day, what day? The first day, the day after Passover, you shall remove leaven from your houses. Get all the yeast out of your house on the first day. That was where spring cleaning came from. And whoever eats leaven, bread, from the first day to the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. In other words, you're out and you're out for good. So were they serious about getting the leaven out of their houses for that feast? Oh, you better believe they were. And by the way, leaven is a picture of what in the Bible, church? Sin. Sin. It's also a picture of the kingdom of God, which is interesting, but I digress there a little bit. But here, leaven or yeast is a picture of sin. I mean, we're, we're even taught in the New Testament, a little leaven... Leaven's a whole lump of dough, doesn't it? You don't have to put a lot of that stuff in there because it reproduces. And a little bit of sin in your life will ruin your whole life. Amen? And th so the idea was you got to get all the leaven out of your house. So here's what the Jewish mother would do. She would spring clean on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And she would get, she, and that would be an excuse to take everything out of the cupboards and make sure you got all the leaven out of the house. You took it outside and burned it. And you'd have to start all over again later. So here's what would happen. She would get, get it all done with the kids, and they would clean the house. And then the Jewish father, by the way, the Jewish people knew how to have a good time. They knew how to celebrate. The Jewish daddy would come at, to inspect the house to make sure that all the yeast was gone. And the mom would hide a little, bit of, little pile of yeast, usually somewhere in the kitchen by the stove. He would know where it was. And he would come in, and he would have a candle and he would, he would search the house with a candle. And sure enough, he'd find a little bit of yeast by the stove. And he'd say, oh, this is terrible. We've got we to deal with this. 
And so he, he had a feather with him, and he, he and the children would take the feather, and they would sweep the yeast onto a wooden spoon. And then they would wrap it in a linen cloth. And then together as a family, they would take it outside their house and outside the city where there was a communal bonfire, and they would throw this yeast wrapped in... Uh, inside of a wooden spoon wrapped in, in strips of cloth, and they would throw it into the fire to be consumed. Does that, any of that sound strangely symbolic to anybody here today? I mean, why, why did they do all this? Why, why would God have them do this in this holy dress rehearsal? So that the Jews would recognize the Messiah when He came and what He came to do. In Psalm 119, 105, the word says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The candle is the word of God. The feather, the feather is the Holy Spirit. Psalm 91 says, I will cover you with my wings. God speaking to his people. The wooden spoon we take from Deuteronomy 21, and these Jewish people would have known these scriptures. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree, a wooden spoon. The unleavened bread, the matzah, is striped and pierced. Have you ever seen Jewish unleavened bread? It's big. It's kind of like bigger than graham crackers, but it's a big square. And it's got these lines all through it, and then it's got these holes. It is literally striped and pierced. He was wounded for our transgression. He was pierced through for our iniquity. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin, Jesus was the matzah. He was unleavened. He was without sin. Mark 15.46, they brought a linen cloth and wrapped him in it. There's your linen cloth. Hebrews 13, 13, Jesus was taken outside of the city to suffer and die outside of the gates under the judgment of a holy God. None of this was by accident. It was all a divinely set appointment and a dress rehearsal so God's people wouldn't miss Messiah when he came. And yet, what did they do? Most of them missed Messiah when he came. Now, jot this down in John 2, verses 13 through 17. You will remember this. And this is all happening right in what we now call Holy Week. Let's read what it says. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. What's that mean? It's close. We're going to look at some dates here in a minute. So we're, we're right on top of Passover. We're coming. It's kind of like we know what Christmas is, right? So, okay. Christmas Eve is in two days, and then there's Christmas. So we're right, it's right at hand. It's right there, right? So Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why would he go to Jerusalem? Because three times a year, all the men of Israel had to appear before the Lord. And that was Jesus. He was always kept the law, right? So he goes into the temple, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now, they had to change money from whatever money you had into the temple money which was a specific currency. Now look what he did. He gets mad. You all remember this? And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the uh, changer's money 
and overturned the tables. I mean, Jesus was kicking over tables. He was whipping people, and they were scattering. Have you ever looked at that and thought, what is that all about? I talked to a Pastor Nick last night, and we were discussing that. And Nick said, you know, I was trying to figure out what in the world that had, because he's going through Holy Week at, at, his, at Christ Church there in, in Jackson. He goes, I'm trying to figure out what that overturning of, the, of that was all about. And I said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Jesus was helping his dad get the leaven out of the house. He was reenacting what they had done for generations in Israel. The children would come and they would assist their fathers in getting the leaven, the sin, out of the house. And what does Jesus say in, in, in there? He said, my father said this would be a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. Right? So what does he do? Jesus is helping his dad get the leaven out. And he kicks, he kicks the sinful activities out of the house of God. You see, there's the shadow, and there is the substance all in the same place. So hopefully now you're going to see these events differently. There were subs, they were substance that were rehearsed in the shadows for centuries. Now let me personalize this for us for a minute. Who are we? Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 5, that we are literally the house of God, living stones. Oh, yeah. And, and, and here we see in John 2, 13 through 17. We're going to get there. Um, I don't know how I missed that, Paul. But apparently I did. Uh, then his disciples remember. So as, as Jesus is kicking everybody out, the disciples remembered, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Oh, okay. I remember Jesus, Jesus said that. All right? And that comes out of the Old Testament. Zeal for your house is eating me up. But we are the house of God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells uh, the saints at Corinth, get the leaven or get the sin out of your life because a little leaven leavens the whole lump in 1 Corinthians 3. And he says, you truly are matzah. You truly are unleavened. You truly are in your spirit without sin because you're united with Christ. Therefore, sin on the outside in your flesh has no place amongst you because you are unleavened because Jesus is unleavened. We had this discussion in school a little bit on Monday. And, and, and it's, it's a place of grave misunderstanding in the church. That in our inner being, when we have repented of our sin and put our whole weight of our faith in Jesus... We are plunged, we are baptized into Christ. And there's no water in that baptism, but it is a spiritual transaction. We are placed into Jesus. And Jesus is unleavened without sin. And in the core of who we are, we are as well. That's what's called a saint. Um, so it's interesting here. And we see this in Exodus 12, verses 3 through 6. Exodus 12, 3 through 6. Here we go. Again, speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, and that's the month of Nisan, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Now look at this. According to the house of his father, think about it, a lamb for a household. So this is an extended family event, to keep that in mind. So you take a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb... Basically, you go get some friends. <laughs> Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according 
to the number of persons according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be what kind? Without blemish, a male of the first year. You could take it from the sheep or the goats. So it had to be a male without blemish, and it can't be sick, and it had to be within its first year. And by the way, we think of a lamb, it's just a little tiny, a year old lamb's a much bigger animal than probably what you're thinking. All right? Um, so, so this was the command here. And then verse number six. I guess I didn't have six up there. But in verse number six, it tells us that basically there's ten, a one lamb to ten people. So this is on the 10th of Nisan. When is this lamb going to be slain? On the 14th of Nisan, literally four full days later. Um, and it's interesting. So for, for four days, this lamb was literally brought into the house and almost made like a family pet. But the reason you brought it home is you're watching it. There was the inspection of the lamb for four days. Now, from Adam to Christ is 4,000 years, right? And Peter says a day is as a thousand years in the eyes of the Lord. And for, for four days, this lamb is to be inspected. Now, Josephus, how many of you are familiar with Josephus, the, the historian? He was a Jewish historian. He worked for Rome. But Josephus tells us that in the first century about this time, the, the average um, population of Jerusalem was about uh, 650,000 people. But that during the feast, specifically of Passover, it would swell to 2.5 million. And he writes that around this time, that meant that every Passover, I want, you to, I want you to ponder this for a minute. Every Passover in the temple, 250,000 lambs were slain. And they caught all of that blood. 250,000 lambs. That's a lot, isn't it, according to Josephus. That's going to come into play here in just a minute. Um, John 12, 1 and 2 is an interesting. You can leave that right up there, uh, Paul. But in John 12, verses 1 and 2. We find that it's six days before Passover. So think the 8th of Nisan. And Lazarus had been raised from the dead, like right before then. And so there's this great supper to celebrate. I mean, would you not celebrate? The guy's dead and he's alive. So everybody that came for the funeral, they just threw this big party and had this great supper. Now remember, days start at sunset. So this is the 8th going into the 9th of Nisan. And a... Jesus came to see Lazarus, and the Bible says on the morrow or the next day, so that's the ninth going into the tenth, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the back of the foal or the colt of a donkey. And we call that the triumphal entry. And we celebrate it as Palm Sunday. I, I hate to disappoint you, it probably wasn't Sunday. But Jesus rides in, and, and it's this big celebration. You remember they put the palm branches down. They took their jackets off and laid them down. You all remember being taught about that or reading about that? So that, that's on the 10th of Nisan. And they were singing to him, Hosanna, right out of the Hallel. We read it this morning. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're praising him. It's a big deal. Here's what you probably don't know. On the 10th of Nisan, 
all of the lambs, and especially the one specific lamb that was chosen, they'd do like a county fair type thing, and they would choose the one main sacrificed lamb that's going to be sacrificed to God for the whole nation on Passover at a specific time. That one lamb, I imagine, I guess it was unlucky for him to win that prize. <laughs> but that one lamb would be carried in by the high priest. And everybody else would come with their lambs, right? So, so they would be coming at this very time when Jesus is over here coming in on his donkey. Uh, every year for 1,500 years or as long as they had the temple, this was happening, that the high priest was coming through the sheep gate to the north, coming into the city, and, and it, was, it was all pretty close to the temple. And they were singing Psalm 118, the Hallel, happened every year, Blessed is he uh, who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were talking about the priest carrying the sacrificed lamb. And the high priest is leading this lamb parade, carrying the special Passover lamb. And they would sing from Psalm 114 to 118, their Passover hymnal. But Jesus is coming from Bethany to the east of Jerusalem. And he's coming in the eastern gate. I want you to picture this. At the very same time, the high priest's parade is coming in the north gate. Can you see what's going to happen here? Um, and the crowds are singing the Hallel at this parade for the sacrificed lambs that are coming in. And word gets out that the prophet from Nazareth is coming in the eastern gate. And literally, the crowds leave the main parade and they migrate over because they're believing that Jesus is the Messiah to save them from Rome. And, and so, basically, the high priest's party gets busted by Jesus. And they come over to, to the eastern gate and the high priest can see all of this. And they're, putting, they're waving their palms and they're putting their coach down and they're singing the Hallel, horror of horrors, to Jesus, who in the high priest's mind is a false prophet from Nazareth. You see, the shadow of the high priest's parade is taking place while the substance is coming in the eastern gate. And that's why they were so angry. The Bible even says from that moment on they sought to kill him. They had, had, they had, they had not really taken the gloves off yet, now they're taking the gloves off. They are done with this prophet from Nazareth. So the dress rehearsal is going on in the north, but the substance or the real thing is coming in from the east. Now they inspect the lambs. This is the inspection of the lambs to see that they are without blemish. You would take this lamb into your home and you would just watch it for four days. And you know you're from the 10th to the 14th. Now you know your kids got attached to that lamb. That's the new pet, right? Um, and we see the substance, the dress rehearsal or shadow versus the substance or real thing in the inspection of the lambs here. The Bible says in Luke 20, jot that down, Luke 20, that um, they sent, the Pharisees sent people, some of their own, and the Sadducees, to catch him in his words. So this is the, can you back that up one screen? This is the inspection of the lambs. So Jesus is going to now be tested or inspected for four days before he's crucified. All right, so the inspections of the Lamb, that's the shadow. Jesus is the substance. Now in Luke 20, I want you to know something. Luke 20 takes place over a four-day period. 
Now those things look like they happen back to back to back, but Jesus keeps coming back into Jerusalem, teaching and being there. It's a four-day period, and that's not by accident. And what happens over those four days? Well, on day one, the Pharisees come to him and they say, Hey, I have a question for you. Should we pay? Or no, they said, By whose authority are you working all these miracles? And Jesus, one of the few times, he would not give him a straight answer. He goes, I'll tell you what, I'll answer your question, you answer mine. And he asked him a question about David. And they, no, about John's baptism. You tell, uh, he said, you tell me, John's baptism is of man or is it of God? Now, they wanted to say it was just something that crazy John was doing, but John was super popular and the people would revolt. But if they said it was of God, then that would make them look bad in the eyes of the people. So I said, we can't tell you. And Jesus says, neither am I going to tell you. They're testing the lamb. Um, then the next day, they didn't, that didn't work. So the next day, and, uh, they come and they say, hey, let's talk about taxes. Should we pay Rome taxes or not? Either way, Jesus is caught. This is the horns of a dilemma, William and Andy. We, we studied this in logic. And there's a way, there is a way, three ways to get off the horns of a dilemma. And one of them Jesus takes here is you go between the horns. You offer a third alternative. Can we pay, do we pay the taxes or no? And what does Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what's Caesar's and under God what's God's. He passed the test. And then again, on that last day, um, and by the way, in Luke 20, 23, when he, when he gives them that answer, Jesus literally says to them, why do you test me? Because it's the inspection of the lambs to see if you are without spot and blemish. And Jesus is passing. Well, now the Sadducees step up. They're the non-miraculous people. They don't believe in anything miraculous. They're, um, they're the frozen chosen of the Israelites. Uh, you know, we're going to take all the miraculous out so people of science and understanding and higher learning can embrace the faith. So the Sadducees, come. their big thing was there's no resurrection. You people are nuts. So they come to Jesus with the whole resurrection problem. There's this woman. She marries this guy. No baby. He dies. So he's got to marry the brother. No baby. She goes through all seven brothers. They all die. Still no baby. And they're, but they've all married her. So whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Jesus basically says, y'all are just stupid. You don't understand anything. Because in the resurrection, no one's going to be married. Um, and, he, and, and he comes up, he comes through with shining colors. And, and it's interesting, Luke 20 and verse 40, after, on that fourth day after that last answer, it says this, but after that, they dared not question him anymore. Yeah. Even the people that wanted him dead said, you know what, we're going to have to do this a different way. Because we can't get one over on him. Why? Because he is the substance of the shadow. He passed their test. And you were to test the lambs for four days. And then even when they finally brought him to Pontius Pilate in Luke 23 and verse 4, Pilate, what does Pilate say? I find no fault in him. Nope. He's not guilty. He even passes pagan Pilate's test. This lamb is pure and spotless. Are you tracking with that this morning? And then we come to the Passover service, the Seder. And this is happening on uh, the 13th of Nisan, going into the 14th. So that 
daytime going into the evening. It will, it will turn over into Passover uh, 14th of Nisan as the sun goes down. So I think there's a picture up there, Paul. Or is it, or is it the scripture in John? Okay. So in John 13, 23, we get a little bit of an idea. The youngest child uh, always sat at the right hand of the dad. Uh, and the eldest was on the left hand, which was the place of honor. And so we know that Judas was the oldest because he's, he's sitting in, to the left of Jesus. And that John's the youngest because he's sitting to the right. And the youngest child asks three questions that night. Why is this night different from all other nights? And then the dad went, even though John was probably about 18 years old, maybe, maybe less, because he, he didn't even have to pay the temple tax yet, uh, which you had to do when you were 30. Um, John has to ask these questions. You know, why do we have leavened bread all other nights, but on this night we only have unleavened bread? And why is it that we only have bitter herbs on this night? And why is it on this night, on most nights we don't dip at all, but on this night we dip twice? So you can see on that picture up there, that's a typical Passover Seder plate. And um, that stuff over there in the corner that kind of looks like a salad, that's what's called the, the haroset. And that was the representative of the mortar that, built, that they built the pyramids with in Egypt. And actually, the set's delicious. It's, it's a mixture of apples, raisins, and honey. And the reason it's delicious is because the bitter becomes sweet when, when God rescues His people from unfair labor. And so even though that mortar and that time in Israel's history was bitter, God rescued them and made it sweet. Um, they would recline at the table. Only free men were allowed to recline at the table. Slaves and servants stood to serve their masters, and even when they ate, they ate standing. Reclining at the table was only for free men, and they were now free. They were free from during the Exodus. They had parsley up there, which was a, a, a representative of the hyssop branch, and that was the branch that they would sprinkle in their dip in the blood and paint the doorposts with. And on the 14th of Nisan, um, at sunset, as it turned into the 14th of Nisan, that Jewish father would take that lamb to the threshold of their home. Now, now we, have, we have our thresholds built up, right? And so the water can't come in. In their day, they had a trench. Worked the same way. They had a trench in their threshold so that when the water came up, the water would fill the trench and it wouldn't come into the house on their, on their rugs and things. He took that lamb to the threshold and cut its throat, and that blood filled the trench right underneath the door. Then he would take that hyssop branch, which the parsley represents there, he would dip it in the blood, and he painted the, the doorposts and the lentil, the cross piece. And then what happened when the death angel came? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the word Passover comes from. There's also something up there. Um, they would take that parsley and they would dip it in salt water. And the reason they would do that is to remember the tears that they shed in bondage, in the years of bondage in Egypt. The sorrow of Egypt. And by the way, Egypt is always a picture of the world. And I'll tell you what, if you're in the world and living in the world and living for the world, you will have sorrows. Then there's an egg. Now this came later. And we don't, know, we don't know how much later, but in every Jewish Passover Seder, there's an egg. And the egg um, is there to represent the temple. 
the destruction of the temple. Anyone remember when the temple was destroyed? What date? 70 AD. Now that was Herod's temple. Uh, does anyone know when the first temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed? You're close. Yeah, yeah, 587 BC. Very good. Interesting fact, and this is what this egg represents. Would you believe both of those temples were destroyed on the same date, the same month and the calendar date? It was destroyed on the ninth of the month of Av, and think roughly in the fall, maybe October-ish. So on the ninth of Av, Solomon's temple was destroyed, and on the ninth of Av, Herod's temple was destroyed. What's the deal with the ninth of Av? Well, on the ninth of Av, the Hebrew spies came back with the evil report of the promised land. I'm sure that's a coincidence. But to go forward in history, 1290, all Jews were expelled from England. Guess what date? The 9th of Av. 1492, all Jews are kicked out of Spain. Guess what the date is? The 9th of Av. World War I begins on the 9th of Av. Hitler delivers his great proclamation to kill all Jews on the 9th of Av. And it continues. In 2005, the Jews are expelled from Gaza on the 9th of Av. God's calendar is important, and it explains a lot to us. So as this feast goes on, we're going to see this in the Scripture. I think the Scripture comes up here next in Exodus Chapter 6. Let me read this and I'm going to explain these cups to you and then we're going to head towards close. But therefore I say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from underneath the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And did he do that? Boy, he did. Right? Um, and then number four, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out. All right? Four statements there represented in four cups. Um, and go ahead with the next slide there. There you go. I love these cups. So there are actually four cups at a Passover, four cups of wine uh, that, are, that are consumed at the Passover meal. And the first cup is a cup of sanctification. And that's where he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will sanctify, I will set you apart from your captors, the burden of the Egyptians. God said, I will remove your load. And oh, when we come to Christ, we are unburdened by the weight of sin. Amen? And this is, this is the cup of sanctification. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. He said, I will rescue you. From your slavery. How many of you know before Christ you are a slave to sin? Amen? That's all you can do. I remember when Ben was a little fella, he asked me that. Daddy, why am I, the only thing I'm good at is being bad? Because you're a slave to sin. And you need a new heart. And that was a wonderful gospel conversation with a little kid. Right? And so God breaks the chains of bondage. That word there in the Hebrew is avodah. It means work of any kind. We are not free until God pays a redemption price. Avodah. In other words, we don't, we don't have any part of that payment. God pays it all. So that no work of any kind 
on our part. That's why they get to recline because they've been delivered and they are free through no effort of their own. Then the third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And where do we see that outstretched arm if not on the cross of Calvary itself, right? Jeremiah 32, 17 says, uh, explains us that at no, it cost God nothing to create. He created ex nihilo, out of nothing God created. But oh, let me tell you, it cost God much to redeem that fallen creation. It cost the blood of his own son. And it's interesting that this third cup, the cup of redemption, is the one that we see Jesus take at this Passover meal that he is transitioning to what we call the Lord's Supper. Why? The Passover Seder was the shadow. The Lord's Supper in Jesus is the substance. Right? And it's interesting, at this point, at this third cup of wine is brought out, the Jewish father, there was a bag on the table, and in the bag were three matzahs, and those are big square crackers. I meant to bring some today to show you what they look like. And he put these three matzahs in this bag, and it's called the matzotosh bag, or the matzah bag. And it had three compartments, oddly enough. So there were three separate compartments. At this point, when the cup of redemption came out, he literally took the middle matzah out. You can't make this up. Think Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He takes the middle matzah out, and he breaks it in two, and he puts it in another bag that he goes and hides. And then later in the meal, before the fourth cup, he sets the children loose to go find it. A couple interesting things about that. Number one is the children were told literally to resurrect the Afikoman bag. That was the name of the bag that the broken matzah is put into. You guys go find it. You resurrect it and bring it back to me. And at this cup of redemption, and I, the Father, will redeem it from you for silver. And that's where the idea of the silver-wrapped chocolates came from. The, the Jewish father would either give them coins or silver-wrapped chocolates as a redemption price for the Afikoman being found and resurrected. And over tradition, they don't know why, it came to be 40 pieces of silver-covered chocolate. I'm sure that's a coincidence, too. And if you want to think, they do this to this day. Um, good, honest Jews today will, be, will, will do this very soon, in, in about a week. It gets crazier. You ready for this? Shadow and substance. Jesus, God did not want his people to miss the Messiah when he came. Guess what afikoman means? It literally means, this is, this is amazing to me, it means... I came. It's the middle matzah. It's broken. It is hidden away. It is revealed, resurrected, and redeemed for 40 pieces of silver. And it means I came. God is, God is proclaiming to the Jewish people that Messiah is here. And then the fourth cup is the cup of acceptance. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people now that you are redeemed. Then in Mark 14, 26, the Bible says they sang a hymn 
and they went out to the Mount of Olives. We know exactly what they sang. It was the last part of the hymn before the very end, which would be sung in the morning. It was Psalm 118, verses 21 through 24. They sang that Hallel. And it begins, I will praise you, for you have answered me. Look, look, at, look, look at Jesus' funeral song. And you have become my salvation. Y'all know what Yeshua means? Jesus' name means? Literally means my salvation. He's literally, they're literally singing about Jesus as they go to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going to pray and he's going to be arrested. Jesus is singing his own funeral song with his disciples as they walk. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. What a beautiful truth. The stone, look, does this sound familiar? The stone which the builders rejected had become the chief cornerstone. This is not New Testament, folks. This is the Hallel. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Shadow and substance. This was the Lord's delight, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made, and what? We will rejoice and be glad in it. And yet, and yet, Jesus sings this with his disciples as he's headed to Calvary. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus took joy in obedience. And by the way, as his disciples were singing this, they were still as clueless as ever. And yet he loved them to the end. I don't know how, but he did. Then we read in Psalm 118, we, we see, or excuse me, Mark, Mark 15, 25, it was the third hour, which we would, for us, that would be 9 a.m. in the morning. This is the 14th of Nisan. It's the time for the morning sacrifice, 9 a.m. Psalm 118, 27 tells us what's happening at the temple. Binding the lamb, uh, it says, great God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. So at nine in the morning on the 14th of Nisan, that one lamb that high priest carried in, that was going to be the symbolic for the 250,000 that were already slain. That lamb was taken up the steps to the altar. And the altar was huge. It was some 20 feet by 20 feet square. And it had big brass horns on the four corners, north, south, east, and west. And they literally took that lamb up there and they tied it to the horns of the altar and they, and they bound it fast. Listen, that shadow. Here's the substance just outside the gates, less than a mile away. Jesus is being fastened to the cross. Bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. The shadow is inside the gates. The substance is outside the gates, which is Christ. Matthew 27, darkness from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Now we know that the sixth hour and the ninth hour in the scriptures in the Hebrew custom were hours of prayer. John 19.30 tells us this, that at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cries out what? It is finished. Now I don't know if you know this or not, but let me take you inside the gates of Jerusalem at 3 p.m. Here's what's happened. 
five minutes before three, that lamb's throat is cut by the high priest. His blood is caught in a bowl. And in that lamb's body, at the very top of that hour, is thrown onto the coals of the altar. And with bloody hands, the priest would lift his hands toward heaven and he would literally say, It is finished. And that was the shadow. The substance outside the gate less than a mile away with bloody hands raised to heaven said, It is finished. And he died. Do you see the shadow and the substance taking place at the same time? There's more. What did that centurion do when Jesus said those words? Yeah, he did. He, he confessed Christ as the Son of God. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. And then he took a spear, as he had done hundreds of times before. You see, if anybody come off the cross alive, the centurion got to take his place, receive the death penalty. You think that centurion is letting anybody off that cross alive? No way. And he knew what death was. And he knew specifically the sign of crucifixion death, which was asphyxiation. I have a hard time saying that word. Asphyxiation. And when that happens, your blood thickens up so much that the pericardium fluid in a sack around the heart fills up. And literally, the blood's so thick, the water gets so tight in there, the pericardium fluid, which is clear, gets so heavy in that bag around your heart and the blood is so thick the heart can't pump the blood and make it move anymore and it's suffocated by that pericardial fluid that is there to help the heart push. It's what your heart does when, when your blood's not pumping. This fluid comes in there and fills up that puts more pressure on the heart. And what that Roman soldier did that he had done a thousand times before is he would slip that spear up underneath the fifth rib and puncture that pericardium and water would come out for what looked like water would come out. And then oozing behind that would be very thick and coagulated blood. And that was a sign that that separation had taken place and that person was truly dead. At 3 p.m., the priest says, it is finished. A lamb for the nation. But what was interesting is there were Levites, those were the temple workers, in the temple. And you could hear a pin drop. Two and a half million people, not a sound. And those Levites were listening for the words, it is finished. Because they had a gruesome job. But they had literally collected the blood of 250,000 lambs. That's a lot of blood. We're talking hundreds of gallons of blood in these underground cisterns. And, that, and then they had behind those cisterns the same amount of cisterns filled with water. And when they heard it is finished, that was their signal to open the gate, the floodgate that was holding that in. And literally all that blood and water would gush out the left side of the temple down into the Kidron Valley. And one historian in the first century said this, it looked like the gush of water and blood from a crucified criminal at the point of a centurion's spear. Blood and water gushed. It was over. 
he was finished. And as the blood and water gushed from the side of the Son of God, the substance, the shadow took place less than a mile away. And the temple itself bled. All of that so they would not miss the Messiah. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. God gave them so many clues, so many shadows. In Matthew 2, verse 1 says, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. So what's that mean? It's two, two Hebrew words, bet lachem, the house of bread. Isn't it interesting that the bread of life was born in the house of bread? God gave them so many things to recognize the Messiah, and yet they didn't. I wonder today, have you recognized him? Do you see him as the substance that fulfills the shadow of everything in the Old Testament? I hope you see this event of Holy Week in a very different way today. And here's what I want you to see out of it. God had this figured out from before the foundation of the world. Why is that important to you and I today as we close? Here's why it's so vitally important. God is in the details and he planned out the death of his son before the foundation of the world. He planned the songs they would sing at his funeral. He planned the day he would die. He planned the very minute he would die and what would be said at his funeral. Why would he go to such great lengths to do such a thing? Because he would garner great glory by saving someone like you and someone like me. And you need to walk out of here today with utter confidence that God is mighty to save. He is in the detail business. So my question to you today is, what will you do with the substance that is Christ? And here's the right answer. Obey the gospel today. You say, Pastor, what does it look like to obey the gospel? You repent of your sin and you turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And for believers and unbelievers today, we get the sin out of our lives. That's what repentance is. we got to get the leaven out. By the way, sin is destroying your life. It's destroying your families today. It's destroying your relationships. We need to repent and believe the gospel. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I can't or I won't submit to my husband. I'm here to tell you, you don't need a remade spouse. You need a resurrected Savior. Your spouse is not your problem. Your lack of a Savior is your problem today. If you're here today and say, you know what, I have no desire to forgive those people who hurt you. You don't need a course. You need a crucifixion. You need to die to self and offer everyone who hurts you or does you wrong the same forgiveness that you were granted through a crucified and resurrected Christ. And if you're here today and say, you know what, I just can't change myself. I can never be good enough. I'm here to tell you, you do not need behavior modification. You need, you need spiritual mortification. The invitation of Jesus to you today is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's never been the invitation. The invitation is this, and hear it well, saints, today. Come and die. Come and die. You need to come to the end of yourself. And you need to own your sin. And then see it owned by your Savior on a cross. And you need to die to who you were and be resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. That's the invitation today. 
and then follow me and die a thousand deaths every day. Death to self, death to sin, and death to Satan, and learn what true life is really all about. I implore you to do that today. Why? Because he's worth it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is worth your life. May that be a reality to us today. Would you stand with me? Courtney's going to come and we're going to sing a song.